the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for tuning in again to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko brought us the first portion of Risk and His Return the last time we were together. But due to our time constraints, we were not able to complete that message then. We'll do so now. But remember, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com. You'll find this broadcast and many more under the broadcast schedule there on the main page. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with the conclusion to Risk and His Return. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. And he receives his kingdom from the Father. In a sense, he's married to the kingdom. And it's the kingdom of heaven because he receives it in that far-off country rather than receiving it here. And once he's finished in the parable, he returns to the earth. So the parable focuses on what would happen contextually between the time he leaves for that far-off country in the time he returns. The parable introduces the concept of risk in the context of his soon return. The word return here is a pun that I'm using. It means two things. It means a return on the investment, which is his, and his physical return that makes it happen. Friend, whenever you invest in life, there is risk. How many of you have lost money in the stock market for your IRA? Most people have, haven't they, over time? Remember that big crash that happened around 2000? A few people made a lot of money. Everybody else didn't. The trick was to diversify, right? Some of you are saying, well, the trick is not to invest at all. Well, this parable's for you. You cannot have a return unless you take the risk to invest. Did you hear me? I know all this bad talk about capitalism in our culture. It's amazing how ignorant that talk is. I'm just going to be frank with you. I'm not into money, but I know that that's foolish talk. And I'm going to tell you why it's foolish talk. Communism is based upon the philosophy of atheism. And here's why. If you read the documents, you know this. It's based on the idea there's only so many material resources that can go around. You cannot create wealth in a communist mentality. You must redistribute wealth. Wealth creation and the capitalist engine that gave us the modern Western world was created in part and to a large part by the Protestant Reformation. The belief that you can take a little and through faith and work, God can multiply it and create wealth. One is based on faith in God. The other is based on no faith in God. And if you want to look for an evidence of how destructive that philosophy has been, millions of people have died since the theory was envisioned by Karl Marx. It came right out of the French Revolution. The bloodbath of the French Revolution gave us communism. Communism gave us the Bolshevik Revolution, which was another bloodbath. If you chronicle Mao and you look at what happened also in Russia under Stalin, who wants that philosophy? Now, friend, I'm not into politics. I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. Did you hear me? I don't care for either party. Now, I'm in trouble already. I believe in God's party. 
But in God's church, in His system, you are to take your little and grow it for God and turn it into a lot. God will infuse divine power into that which seems insignificant to make it burgeon and multiply into infinite resources if necessary. Christ said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He didn't say, well, there are only so many pieces of the pie. You can't use this energy here. It'll be lost here. He said, wherever you go in my name, there are resources, power. Heaven will meet the need. Now, that's what the Bible teaches, isn't it? And so we must think in these terms when we advance the work of God in our own lifetime. We must not surrender to this other mentality. In a pre-advent heavenly judgment in Daniel 7, Jesus comes before the Ancient of Days to receive a kingdom. And we're to be doing something on earth with our talents, with what God has given us. You cannot have a return unless you have risk. In the parable, there are two choices to be made. The choice of risk and investing talents for the nobleman's cause and the certain outcome that comes when no risk at all occurs because you're afraid. His return will bring a return on your investment if you trust Jesus. That's the point of the parable. Look at verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds, and he said to them, Trade these till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an embassy after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. That's exactly what the Jews did. When Archelaus wanted to reign in the place of his father, King Herod, they sent a delegation to Rome to stop it. And as a result, he only got a part of the kingdom. When he got home, of course, I imagine he butchered that delegation, so we don't know much of them now. But in the broader sense, the delegation represents a rebellion in the Christian church in the Middle Ages that misused the talents of the Christian faith. Look at the verse very carefully. In the parable, the nobleman gave his servants how many pounds? What does it say? Ten pounds. He didn't give them nine pounds. He didn't give them 11 pounds. How many pounds did he give them? Come on, tell me. Ten pounds. Now, 10 pounds represents the riches of his law made effectual by the cross of Christ. The 10 pounds obviously draws the mind to 10 commandments in the new covenant experience where the law of God is written on the heart of his people. In the new covenant, God writes that 10 commandment law on your heart and it becomes a treasure for you to do God's will, not an inconvenience. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and not do away with the law. And the preachers of our land today say Jesus came to do away with the law. And they make Christ out to be a liar. You can't have a new covenant in which the law of God is written on your hearts if you have no law. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. He came to find the lawless heart to fill it with love, forgiveness, and grace so it would obey for the right reasons. And so the nobleman gave them ten pounds because of grace. And when you invest in God's will in your life, which the 10 pounds represents, the Holy Spirit action so you can do the right thing, you will have a return that is sure and safe in your life. The misuse of the 10 pounds represents the rebellion against God's law and the rebellion against the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And that rebellion is identified in Daniel 7.25. A little horn power rises, as we said. In the Middle Ages, he looks like the Son of Man. He's not the Son of Man. And he takes authority away from Christ. He gains control of the Christian church in the Middle Ages. And while this nobleman is in this far-off land, this little horn even acts like he's the son of man because he looks like a man. has eyes like a man and a mouth like a man, Daniel 7 says. And he's taken out of power at the end of the Middle Ages. 
between the transition of the 18th, 19th centuries in the book of Daniel, just before this heavenly judgment starts in heaven, the little horn counterfeits Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry in the Middle Ages for a time, times, and dividing times, three-and-a-half prophetic years. Christ ministered for three-and-a-half years. Christ set the captive free at the beginning of his ministry. This power takes them into captivity in the Middle Ages. And so we see the hijacking of the Christian church in this medieval church-state fusion. Daniel 7.25, He shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, shall think to change the times and the law. In other words, he'll take that Ten Commandment law of God, ten pounds, and he'll misuse the talents entrusted to him. He'll alter the law of God. And then it says, they shall be given into his hand for a time, two times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. The Apostle Paul predicted the same thing in Second Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. I mean, what we find in Daniel, repeat in the New Testament. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, meaning the day of Christ's return, will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he even takes his seat in the temple of God. What he's saying is he takes his place of political power in the Christian church proclaiming himself to be God. The parable says in Luke 19, 14, that the citizens hated him. And they said, we do not want him to rule over us. This means the Christian church was hijacked between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his return. His own citizens turned on him. Daniel predicted that a rebellion in the church would try to change the Ten Commandment law of God. Paul calls this rebellion the man of lawlessness. In the parable, they are citizens that rebel and do not appreciate the ten pounds. Friend, the law of God is not a liability for the Christian church. The law of God is an asset. Did you hear me? The law of God is not a liability. It's an asset. In verse 15, the nobleman returns and he calls these citizens to accountability that disregard the privilege of investing his ten pounds. There's a mix. One disregards, the other two Use it correctly. Luke 19, 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by trading. Upon his return, he requires a return, his investment in the context. The lesson is clear. He wants to know what they've done with that one pound that they received. The ten pounds belong to him. In the context, we're stewards. We don't own all ten. He gives us one so that we make a difference. I'm going to quote from Charles Schwab here, okay? He was able to successfully invest, not in commodities and all this stuff, in sound investments over time, so he's someone who knows. You know, if you go to someone who doesn't have a clue how to invest and you get advice from them, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to lose every penny you have. If you want to make sound investments in the real world, you need to go to someone who knows what they're talking about. Christ knows how to invest, doesn't he? I mean, he took the riches of heaven's treasury and poured it out for you at the cross, and the result is the Christian church and the kingdom of God in eternity. Well, in the earthly sphere, Charles Schwab knows how to invest. And here's what he said. The man who has done his best has done everything. I like that. Friends, serving God with a whole heart makes all the difference in the world. I mean, this business of half-hearted service doesn't fly. 
In the church, the person who uses their talents with an energy that comes from God with everything they have. I mean, what does the Bible say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? You shall love the Lord your God with half your heart, half your soul, half your might. You should have opposed me. You should have stood up and said, heresy. How's it go? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. No, 90%, 100% for God. I'm not apologizing. That's what he's saying. And Charles Schwab said, the man who has done his best has done everything. That's the word of God. He's just mimicking it. The person who believes that Jesus really loves them will act upon that faith and invest his or her life into the cause without reservation. The response of the different citizens begins in Luke 19, 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your pound has made 10 pounds more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Wow, what a promotion. Notice he doesn't say you have been faithful with a lot. Does it? No. The nobleman didn't put the whole kingdom in his hands. He gave him one pound. That's all. Didn't give him a lot, just a little. But because he was faithful in that one pound, he became a ruler over ten cities. That's a magnificent transformation of circumstances. The real return is the future in which the nobleman transforms his status from an employee into a fellow sovereign. His whole circumstance is transformed by the correct use of the one pound. Because he can trust the servant, he gives him a share in his kingdom. He becomes a co-ruler with him. That's the real return here. Verse 18. And the second came saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. Now, he doesn't make as much as the first one. Some people are better at vesting than others. That's all right. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. In proportion to his victory, proportion to his success, he has given future opportunities. So far, everything is good. Their state has changed from an employee to a fellow sovereign. Both of them multiplied their means. That's great, isn't it? I mean, should we penalize people who are successful? Do you want to tell your children, you grew up and do your best, but when you do your best, shame on you. Is that a good idea? I want my kids knowing that if my son wants to be a medical doctor, go for it. If my younger son wants to be an FBI agent, go for it, because I think that's what he wants to be, you know. Just going to have to keep the Sabbath, sundown to sundown, figure all that out. But that's all right, okay, as long as he's in the Lord. Why take a young child's mind and tell them they cannot dream great things for God? We have no place to do that. Let's open up the windows of those beautiful little minds and let's look at the future as the undiscovered country of what can be in Jesus and let's not inhibit the potential of the next generation. The third interview is less fortunate. I wish it was as fortunate, but it isn't. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I kept laid away in a napkin. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. All three greet the returning nobleman and call him Lord. Just because you call him Lord does not mean he is the Lord for you. And so the third says Lord too, but here is your pound. And then he adds, which I have laid away in a napkin. The Greek word here for napkin is the kind of napkin you blow your nose on. Do you know that? 
Very special word. The fact that he hid it in a napkin shows he did not respect the gift at all. It was a messy talent he handed back to the nobleman. He defiled the talent by his inactivity. His motive is revealed in verse 21. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. The man who would not invest the nobleman's talent accuses the nobleman of theft or opportunism that takes advantage of others. He acts like the nobleman ravages the possession of others by conquest. He misrepresents the character of the nobleman. All this shows that he is just like the enemy that the nobleman would naturally oppose. He doesn't get it. The nobleman is a good man. He's a noble man. And when he trusted his talents to others, he showed them that he cared about them. He showed them that he was concerned that they should grow and become better people than they are at the present time. The 10 pounds was not a burden, but an asset. And the unfaithful treated it as if it was a burden. Dear heart, God has called you as a Christian to use your talents for God. To believe that your little can grow into much. To be humble enough to know you're not the center of the universe. You don't have all ten talents. But he's given you enough to make a difference in your sphere of influence. And what you do with your talent determines what he will do with you. If you invest it, there will be a return. If you keep it and you hide it in a napkin, Luke 19.22 is for you. Look what it says. He said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank and at my coming I would have collected it with interest? There are people in the church who, because of circumstances, they can't get out of their home. There are people who mail their faithful tithe to the church through the mail. And they cannot come here. And it may not be that they can do anything, but if they still take whatever they have and they invest it as best they can with the limitations of life that they are given, there will be a return. That's what he's trying to say. It's a principle that when you invest with God, God brings more opportunities into your life. When you do not invest in God in time, you lose what you had. Luke 19, 24, and he said to those who stood by, take that pound from him and give it to him who has 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. I tell you that to everyone who has will more be given, but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friend, God doesn't feel bad investing in people who will do something with his resources. Did you hear me? Why would God invest in you if you will do nothing for him. Did you hear me? But if in your heart you say, Lord, I want to do something for you. I want to make a difference in your cause. And I have so little ability in my life. The great God of the universe sitting on that infinite throne will look down at you and will say, to mighty Gabriel, send a million angels. And move upon the resources of planet earth to make it happen in that ministry, in that person's life. Reverse the forces of evil and cause the tides of blessing to come that way. And as long as you are faithful and you are committed to Christ, your circumstances will change. Now, if you get arrogant, you get self-centered, you think the world rotates around you, it will change to your harm. And so faith is really the key that unlocks heaven's treasury. God doesn't feel bad investing in people who will have faith 
to reach out and use the resources for his cause. And then the ultimate outcome is given to the rebels who tried to prevent him from being king. Look what happens in verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Friend, Jesus is returning for every person who wants him to invest in them and rule over them. People who want him will receive him. He's coming back for people who value the 10 pounds of his Ten Commandment law. He's coming for Christians who see the law of God as an asset in the church instead of a liability. It's not perfect people he's returning for. He won't find those because without Christ's righteousness, we're not perfect. It's people who value the fact that they were lost, but now they're found. Who value the robe of righteousness that's received as a gift. That he took the risk to seek and save the lost. People who value that, who invest in the gospel. That care about what he did. It's loyal people who are willing to invest the little treasure he entrusts to them and double it. Or at least to do the best they can. He's coming back for those folk. You show your loyalty to Jesus and how you use his talents in your life and in the church. That's true for you and me too. Years ago, I got in over my head as a senior pastor in my first district. We started a building project in the midst of a congregation in Detroit that was in a death spiral. I mean, so if the church is dying, what do you do? Well, you build a church. Church is growing smaller. What do you do? You start evangelizing. My conference president said, you can't hold an evangelistic meeting. I'm sending evangelists there next year. So we started holding small groups in the homes, sharing the word of God in our house. I've been doing that ever since, and I still do it as a part of my personal lifestyle. I have small groups in my home. It started back then. They wouldn't let me hold up public meeting. I remember coming to the end of the whole thing. Here we were, a building project had started. We were a quarter of a million dollars short of resources. The building was over half up. I invited my conference president to come by and see the new church building that would never go up unless he bailed me out. So I invited him to come. He was either going to fire me or bail me out. He came by and he started looking at those tall beams without a roof. He stepped into the mud that would be a concrete floor of the sanctuary. And he looked at the gravel outside that needed pavement. But he saw the walls and the rooms. He could see the entire church in his mind. Because I could see the entire church in my mind. Because in the mind of God, he didn't call us to build something and get half done and quit. Right? He looked at me and he said something like this. He said, Mike, it's going to happen. I'm going to go back to the church's bank called the Revolving Fund. And we're going to put the conference's name on the line to make it happen. You just keep doing the work of God here and we'll support you at the conference office. Because Christ is supporting the work you're doing and he's supporting the work I'm doing too. I learned how to treat people who take risks from my godly example that was given to me by my conference president in Michigan. This was a career buster. You don't come to the end of a project and you don't have the resources to finish it without finding a new job unless someone's with you. And he was saying to me, you took the risk to build this church, I'm taking the risk to help finish the church. My teenage son last year decided to build a cabin in Tennessee. He mapped it all out. He did a cost analysis, and after he sold his SUV, he had invested all he had to build his cabin. And when we got out there in Tennessee, on Grandpa's property, he was short $2,500 to build that cabin. 
You have to have a roof or the thing begins to look pretty awful in a hurry. I think he knew it all along. He knew that cabin would go up. He was going to build it on faith. That was a huge task for him. Now, I think Donald knew that if he took the risk of getting this thing going, Grandpa and Dad, with pressure from Grandma and Ma, would not let it go down. He sucked us into the venture, and we all ended up paying for the rest. He took a risk. Well, maybe it wasn't a risk. It was worth it for him. He doubled his investment because we bailed him out. It's his cabin. It's worth twice as much as what he put into it. Dear heart, if you're in over your head with God, God will bail you out. If you're with God, he'll bail you out. The only risk in life is to do nothing. If you cast your lot with Jesus and you come to the end of your rope, he has a lot more rope for you. If you come to the end of your resources, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If you come to the end of your life, he is the life you need in the resurrection. The only thing to fear in life is fear itself. And the fear of the Lord is a fear that overcomes fear. When Jesus returns, he will ask you the relevant question. Did you, with your one pound, trust him enough to take a risk for his return? Thanks for tuning in for the conclusion of Risk and His Return with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You can download a copy of this broadcast at reachingyourheart.com or listen there in on-demand audio format. While you're on that website, please consider a financial contribution. We so appreciate you doing that. To send you a contribution through the mail, the address here is Reaching Hearts International, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That is also the address for the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. If you're in the area, please stop by. We'd love to have you as our guest. And thanks for listening. As always, we pray God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.